everybody. I hope you're doing well. It is 6.58 p.m. on the East Coast. And broadcasting live from the docks of the old parachute factory here in New York. It's quite frankly the pre-show. I hope that you're doing um, I hope, I hope that you're, you're warm and cozy. The Yankees are three defensive outs away from uh, punching another ticket to trying to figure out the Astros, those cheating fucks from uh, Houston. So we'll see on that end. But for now, I'm just, I'm just going to shut up and let it play out. And then I'll say what I really think about the Guardians afterwards. Anywho, I have some great stuff to do with you tonight because we've got great, great friends in the studio. Um, Bill Ottman, co-founder of Minds.com, is here tonight. A colleague of his, Matthew, also with Minds, is here as well. We're going to be hanging out with them. We're going to catch up. We're going to hit on a set of interesting topics, especially when it comes to what is new with Minds itself, what's going on with Elon Musk and Twitter, how... What's going on now with Kanye and Parler? Why has Boston University scientists spent so much time allegedly creating a COVID variant with an 80% kill rate? That doesn't sound like something you should be doing in your recreation time. But then again, is anybody doing anything uh, constructive these days when it comes to university money? I don't know. But then we'll talk at great length because, you know, inside of all those those little pit stops are many discussions about censorship and uh, in the way forward in the world if we're going to live in a free society a self-proclaimed free society in the second half I definitely want to talk about the weaponization of AI again but a conversation pushed into the direction of quantum computing and how consciousness may be creating internet tulpas and uh, it's going to be it's going to be good because these are things that are not foreign to the show, but I definitely love bringing them up when we have uh, tech minds in the room who think more practically about this stuff and don't like uh, hyping hyping the shit out of themselves and scaring themselves before bed like me. So that's just, that's just what this is all about. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you to Secret Nature CBD for being our sponsor this evening. I hope everybody has gotten themselves at least a pack or two of some wonderful pre-rolls, getting them uh, for your own stockpile, or making sure that you have things to put in people's stockings this Christmas. So high in CBD, low in THC, full spectrum, wonderful. I work with them because I was fascinated by by, by physical bud and not everything being an oil or a tincture, though they have those too. Secret Nature CBD, uh, you're going to love the way it tastes, I'm telling you. Go on over there, use promo code FRANKLY for 20% off of everything you, you buy. All right, remember tomorrow, Roseanne Barr's on the show. On the 20th, on Thursday, Kathy O'Brien will be talking about MKUltra, midterm conditionings for a steel, perhaps, SRA survivor, exorcism backfires, all that. Timothy Alberino on Friday, cryptids, spooky stuff, biblical angels. Who knows where we go? And then next week is another great one. One after another. It really is. Okay, into the grab bag now. Let's just get some random things in before we go and start this one off. First one up is from the New York Post. Hold on. Let me get the Brave browser up. And there it is. 
New, oh, oh, just a little bit of a, a follow-up from last night with Rich Barris on, talking about the polls and all that. Great, great show last night, as always, with Rich. A Quinnipiac poll came out today, and especially when it comes to what's going on in New York, as we spoke about that briefly, uh, shows Kathy Hochul has a mere four-point lead over Lee Zeldin, and that the number one issue for New Yorkers is crime, okay? Not abortion. Crime. I, I can't tell you, every last commercial has been about Lee Zeldin is not going to allow you to tear your child apart on its birthday, as if that is just somehow something that will galvanize people with a heart and a brain. But they, they can't get out of their own way. We're talking about absolute nut jobs. Nut jobs. They are a danger to themselves and everybody else. So putting that out there. All right, another nut job. Let's go to Meghan Markle. Meghan Markle tells, well, no, she was not telling the New York Post. I think she was telling Paris Hilton that she was treated like a bimbo and objectified on deal or no deal. I didn't know she was on deal or no deal, but I started thinking to myself, okay, well, what was she? Was she molested behind stage? What was this about? Turns out that deal or no deal did not leave her any room to flex her mental muscles, which is just so obnoxious you're opening up fucking suitcases on deal or no deal how would you have liked your brains to have been put on display megan the duchess of sussex stopped calling her that 41 years old reminisced about her fascinating experience as a briefcase girl on (laughs) this is like saying i was a cocktail waitress in vegas somewhere and it was there was no there was no place to show people how smart i am There's, no, there's nothing in the job description that's going to open up that door for you. Why can't you just take this as a nice opportunity? You were on television for a pretty cool gig that most people would take. Game show while she was pursuing acting a few years before landing her role in the dramatic series Suits. She was grateful for the job, but she felt that she was valued for all the wrong reasons. Yes, they were going to put an ogre up there to open up the number 24 suitcase. Like, can you imagine being Harry? Can you imagine being, can you imagine what kind of hellscape his personal life probably is? Can you imagine escaping Buckingham Palace and your new matriarch is Meghan Markle, the disgruntled American suitcase model? I, it must be hell on earth, but he must have no soul left if, if, if he's been this whipped. My gosh. So yeah, that, that's, that's one way to live. Here's a thing I thought was really interesting though. Daily Wire a couple of days ago. It's about uh, Senator Leahy. I think Leahy's... Is Leahy from... Hold on. We have, we have a Vermonter here. Matthew, is Leahy from Vermont? Um, <clears throat> is he one of the other Vermonters? I don't believe he's originally from Vermont. But is, is he serving right now for Vermont? I think he's up there in the Northeast somewhere. With Is he Bernie Sanders' counterpart? Um, I don't believe he's in office any longer. Oh, he was from Vermont. Yes. This is Matthew, everybody. Hello. <laughs> and, and there's Bill standing, sitting right next to him. What's going on, Bill? Hey, hey. I pulled him in a little bit I early. F- I feel like I saw a crazy thread about Leahy from Snowden, like, earlier this week um, about his memoir and how he was... He basically told... Yeah. Joggers came up to him. Joggers came up to him well, and told... Yeah. So, 
here, here's the headline. Yeah. Let me get this out there, and then I want to hear what you guys have to say about this. Uh, Democrat Senator Leahy says mystery joggers gave him an eerie national intelligence tip in the early 2000s. Uh, Leahy uh, wrote in his recent memoir that the Senate debate war in Iraq in 2002, he was given a tip about security information by two joggers that ended up influencing his vote on the war. Leahy claims, first published in his, uh, in his August 2022 memoir, The Road Taken, were highlighted by Friday by journalist and historian Garrett Graff, who said that the senator's claim provided, quote, a rare glimpse into the shadowy way that the intel agencies interact with members of Congress, end quote. <laughs> it happened twice. They show up. He's walking. Joggers come behind him. They say, have you seen file eight? And apparently these classified records convinced Leahy to vote against the war. To vote against the war. He voted against the war because of these joggers so so, the, so it was actually a faction of the intelligence community that was against whoa it. yeah oh see i hadn't gotten that far in the article yet yeah you got to go to snowden's tweet um from three days ago it's it, there's this guy garrett graff who you just mentioned in the article who who broke it yeah. let me see vermont the vermont senator who was skeptical of the move toward war in iraq um said in his book that he was contacted by two runners who told him to check specific intelligence briefings while out on a walk with his wife, Marcel. Uh, two jog joggers trailed behind us. They stopped and asked what I thought of the intelligence briefings I'd been getting. Marcel realized this was a con uh, conversation she would normally not be involved in and kept on walking ahead. He said he was told by the joggers to uh, ask for file 8 and file 12. Both files were related to intelligence in Iraq. Quickly thereafter, I arranged to see file 8, and it contradicted much of what I heard about from the Bush administration. Um, he called the alleged encounter with the joggers the most eerie experience he had in Washington, D.C. It was the eeriest conversation I'd ever experienced in Washington. I felt like a sensational version of Bob Woodward meeting Deep Throat only in broad daylight. So... Uh, would you consider them those very elusive white hats? But white hats from 20 years ago, they're probably retired by now. You think there's any left? What do you think? I mean, it sort of gives you hope, doesn't it? It has to be. Yeah. I can't be without hope. I can't do that. Um, here's one last thing I'll do before we get into our show. And since you guys have now been breaking the ice with me, this is something else I think you would also have an opinion on. From Breitbart a couple of days ago. We talked about this um, from another metaverse kind of a server, but here it is. An empty world is a sad world. Internal Facebook documents show the metaverse is failing to take off. Um, what do you guys know about about the the population of the metaverse? Because I'm hearing terrible things that anybody who plays Call of Duty would know is 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 really horrible presence as far as population on there. Yeah, I mean, it seems very low, though I think what's going to happen is that, you know, basically people who are on video games all day are going to suddenly be put into the metaverse whether they want to or not. And so I think that suddenly you're going to have millions of people in there just because, the, you know, a lot of these gaming infrastructures shift over into it. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, I mean, did I? I will say to play devil's advocate. I mean, I would never spend a second in Zuckerberg's metaverse. But the new avatars, like people were were shitting on those 
kind of cartoonish ones that were on that Breitbart article, but the new avatar that just dropped like last week is actually a highly accurate representation. It looks like actual real. Where where do I find this? Just search like new I'll check it out Zuckerberg during the, a- avatar some at some point during the show. During yeah. the intro when the intro plays, I'll go look for it. Yeah. It, it's saying this is this is higher than this one uh, place that I was I was uh, reading about earlier on in the week. But this one is saying that Facebook now known as Meta initially set the goal of reaching 500,000 monthly active users for Horizon Worlds by the end of 2022, but the current number of active users is less than 200,000. Less than 200,000, which is roughly the population of Sioux Falls <laughs> in South Dakota. So what do you, do you, what, what count, how do you get in there even? Do you, so you need to have the, is Horizon one of the headsets? I, I don't know. I, the other thing that, that they said is, is hard to ascertain is because so much of this stuff is on blockchain that what may look like a no, low number could actually be at least a few times larger just because of, I don't know, the restrictions to really understanding how many people are accessing it. Uh, that, that, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't. I don't think that much of Facebook's metaverse is on a blockchain. I, th- I think that some of the assets that you can get in the metaverse might be sitting on a blockchain, but I, I don't think that the whole thing is. So I would imagine the reason they're struggling to get users is because not that many people have VR headsets even. Hmm. I mean, do you have one? No. Yeah. No, I, I've, I put a few on. M- Matthew, what do you think about VR headsets? D- does it ever get you nauseous when you had them on? I've used it once to play a video game, some zombie hunter game. Five minutes. That's the that's the longest I've ever had one of those sets on. For I, I got I got a little bit motion sick from it. I'll tell you that much. I took my uh, my daughter to a like VR place in the mall. She got so terrified that she like wouldn't. I mean, she was like probably four or five at the time, but <laughs> like she, it was just one of these kind of like playgrounds where you, I don't know, you would like climb up these blocks. And she like dropped to the ground and was like, <laughs> "I'm not having it." So I mean, in in I was at Tim's house, t- uh, Tim Pool's house the other day, and tried it. And he like he does like full workouts in there, and you can get amazing. I did boxing one time. You can get soaked. In, I mean, it is very good for exercising. I will say I, that for aerobics. Yes. Well, that's something. Yeah. Well, I I uh, I I used the Tim's pull-up bars there. That's all you really need. I I think he's got a, he's got a nice little gym there, the pull-up bars. But I didn't know that the VR uh, workouts were were being done there. <laughs> Damn. What is currently available in the metaverse? What, what can you do? Can you shop? Can you game. Uh, the, the way that I see all these these commercials when they're when they're popping up in between games that I be wa- I, I'll watch or uh, whatever per- periodically whenever there is a big event they make sure that meta has their shit all over the place and the way that they mostly show it is as almost like a, a communal workspace you know how the, those right. pop, those pop-up office spaces would would be right come in use our office space and you can have a p.o box whatever it's like that but it's just virtual that's the main way that they do it. there's other social things that are weird that's the main way that i've seen them they market it as like a communal digital workspace yeah it looks very sterile and not fun right um but i feel like they've just you would think that some links or something would circulate like here's where you get into the metaverse 
but that hasn't so I'm surprised that they're struggling to get users because there's been so much hype about it and if there was even just like any link like metaverse dot I don't know meta there's not even a site you can go to that I'm aware of like they've just done a horrible job of like explaining where to go yeah like none of us even know I don't understand anything That's about it hilarious all I know is that the, and it's all I can ever describe to people is that Facebook has changed its name oh it and somewhere there's a place where you can plug yourself into a, a server and you'll pop up looking like a Wii, a, a Nintendo Wii character. I have to go look at the uh, the new, the new whatchamacallits, the, uh, the new avatars. Let's do that right now. We're going to start this off uh, in grand fashion. It's two outs in the Bronx. The Yankees are winning 5-1 to one with a runner on first, and they are about to punch their ticket to go take on those Astros. So that will hopefully will be concluded by the time we get back. Don't go anywhere. It's going to be a great night. I'm already feeling it. And, uh, yeah, BRB. You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! Who knows what rabbit holes will go down tonight, but we have just a little bit more than that. I, I want to get to some, some just a little bit more on top of the news. To oh, you know what I wanted to ask you guys first before we go anywhere? Last week, and welcome back to the show, Bill Altman and Ma Matt. You just want to go by Matt tonight? You can't. Matthew. Matthew is fine. Bill and Matthew. They're here with us, Minds.com. It's always great when they stop by. I want to ask you guys a question to break the ice. We've been talking about this for, uh, I don't know, it was a topic last week that was really great. We talked about catfishing. If anybody had any catfishing stories or any kind of very crazy situation where someone uh, out there somewhere had presented them as something that they weren't, to you to either gain financially or gain emotionally or whatever we I, I told my story and we had a lot of people submit stories you guys especially <laughs> working in in digital you ever been really you know catfish on a personal <laughs> situation I mean without going into names or too much detail I can say that there was one specific developer that I worked with software developer who basically told me that he had brain cancer 
and oh. <laughs> and oh. and for for and I for years he was just like delaying like the deliverable that you know we were working on together and it was just it was all fake he 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 created a total false reality about and he came in one time with this this is a little bit graphic but like this napkin with this like giant like bloody thing that he claimed was a tendril a tumor tendril from glioblastoma that he had like pulled out of his nose <laughs> like oh. he went so deep and like it was just so absurd and like but I, he was collecting a paycheck yes so there yeah, so yeah. so there was a financial gain yeah there. yeah yeah and 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 was part of the sympathy and I, I i heard that in high school he had uh he had pretended he had aids he was like just into that kind i i forget is it called munchausen no no, no. munchausen, munchausen? I, it's i i don't know it's it's something like that just like manufacturing oh, wow. it for manufacturing il illness for sympathy but yeah so that was um it was it was traumatic i mean it definitely like it was uh it blew me away and is, I, is that officially catfishing though it, it's not like dating catfishing but it's sort of like a similar type of behavior yeah it's sort of like business catfish we, i suppose we right? had we had a legit <laughs> we had a legit you know like movie catfish situation going on with us I told that story at great length on, on the air, but uh, to a lesser degree, I told a story almost like that uh, where a friend of mine, a, a girlfriend of mine from college, tried getting me to go out on, you know, have, have some dates with her by saying that she had brain cancer. Mm. Like she tried using that as a way to like, in, like, like it, that was going to get me to like, yes, we, we, must, we must hook up. It was just very weird. And then, mm. you know, all these, nothing, obviously nothing, because it's very easy to know when somebody's not fighting that, and uh, it was just something they said. And I saw other, it's just nuts. It wasn't easy for me because the guy was so unhealthy, and he just looked bad. Oh, and he showed up with bodily yeah, fluids. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> some people will go to go to great lengths. Did I you? You know, I think that the real the, the real definition of catfishing though is when somebody presents themselves as looking or even being somebody completely different than they end up being. Yeah. So the two examples you guys gave are kind of just like being scammed or, yeah. being, or being lied to. Yeah. You know, it's like you knew who it was. Like he lied about his sickness, or this girl just you know lied about her sickness. I've I've been legitimately catfished before by like girls misrepresenting themselves on social dating sites. And then getting to the date and it being a whole different girl, I've had that happen before. You know, we were we were reading a lot of that, and um, see, I, I guess that's one of the bigger the bigger issues for somebody that people that are in your line of business, because it's the internet, um, uh, platforms like Minds, like you know, uh, Getter, and all, everybody. It's a place where people show up to tr just access anything, information, other people, and the whole idea about an anonymity uh, on the internet is so important that you kind of just have to take, you got, you have to take that risk, and you just have to understand that anybody could be anybody. Because to require people to show an ID and a driver's license just to open up a social media account, it's not feasible. It's not it's, acceptable. It's not no. acceptable you, at all. Yeah, you need the right to anonymity. It's it's like essential. Even like the UN has written papers about anonymity as a human right. I mean, people in authoritarian countries literally cannot reveal 
themselves online or they'll be like imprisoned. So it's a totally necessary thing. But there was a really good documentary called, I think it might've even been called Catfish. It was originally on MTV. Yeah. And some of these people, um, you know, they're afraid that they're not, you know, they're seeking like human connection and they're afraid that they're not going to be accepted in their initial form or their real form. So they kind of create these personas and they build these relationships and like people legitimately fall in love that way. And it's, it's really sad. If anything, it's just, I think it's people who are kind of, um, you know, it's, it's almost like a condition. Yeah. I, that's one thing that, that the internet and the digital field does accentuate more so than anything else. When you strip away, when you strip away the physical, the physical reality of like we three right now being in this room, uh, there are just social forces that keep us in check, politeness with each other. We're looking into, into each other's eyes. We're, you know, just, there's a presence here. All of that goes away on the internet. People are more apt to, to, to say and do things without thinking. Um, it's so much more of an emotional place because you take away the physical, the physical uh, tether that we all have in the real world. And, um, and it does reveal more sadness. It reveals, like, it amplifies everybody's insecurities in ways that are, you know, you gotta do a little bit of digging when you go out to a bar. You know, you're a couple of beers in, you start seeing what's really bothering a person. But on the internet, everybody is just wearing their emotions on their sleeve, and it's just, just flailing wildly into the abyss. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. Especially now with the, with the photo editing apps that people have. I mean, you have to be so careful on social media if you're actually going to, you know, consider dating somebody for real. It's easy enough to just go and meet somebody you've met on Tinder for a drink, and if they're not the person they are, just, you know, walk away. Mm. There's certain circumstances, like I was talking to a girl... And I had, you know, Tinder premium or whatever, so I could set the location and I was going to be traveling to DC. So I set the location to there and I already had some experience of being catfished at this point in my life. So I said, okay, if you're going to meet somebody significant from a different state, if you're going to take the time to actually fly somebody there or fly somebody to you or something of that nature, you got to video chat first. You got to FaceTime first because it's obvious I've been scammed before. So let me FaceTime with this girl. She somehow had a video editing app that made her look just like the photos that she had been sending to me that were on her profile. But when I got there to DC and met her in person, looked completely different. She had like, every photo I did notice was like from a certain angle, it was like this, like her looking <laughs> And then like when she did the video chat, she also kind of like had it like this. So she had either figured out her perfect angle or literally had some kind of, they have editing software now that will edit live while you're on a video chat. Yeah, full and there's like full deep fake so you can, you could be totally tricked by uh, a persona and you can just feed the deep fake AI whatever you want and it can be your I mean that's what the metaverse is doing they're basically enabling people to adopt whatever avatar they want and it can be um, and eventually it's going to be indistinguishable I mean that's crazy that it yeah. already is you're saying yeah the, yeah, the technology is already advanced enough that it fooled me. Uh, we've been waiting. They've been speaking of deep fakes. They've been talking about deep fakes going to be a uh, a major driver in at least one or several gigantic, gigantic uh, cultural situations, uh, geopolitical situations. Uh, that we've been getting warned against deep uh, about deep fakes for a long time now, and at, at one point it was reaching a fever pitch that we thought that. 
we thought that we were being prepped for something that was actually going to be real. Um, but, you know, they're just making a, up an alibi that, you know, this deep fake is going to be coming of one politician or another doing a heinous act or mm. whatever. But it's interesting you bring that up because I do know that aside from how the, the, the information space can be flooded by so much, uh, so much bad and good stuff that it, it muddies what's real and what isn't, and that in itself is a, um, a suppression technique, uh, it doesn't mean that the technology really isn't, isn't being isn't being made. And deep fakers, I'm I'm interested to see where that actually goes. Yeah, I mean, there's gonna be detection tools that emerge so that you can, you know, because machines can tell if something's a deep fake much probably more easily than a human could. But yeah, I mean, I, there's already deep fakes of politicians, you know, saying fake stuff going around that. Yeah, I mean, unless it's verified from the person who it is, like, you, you almost have to assume it's not real hmm. before they say that it is. Have you seen the Tom Cruise deepfake, that guy? Yeah. Yes. He's really good. That, that is nuts. Yeah. Well, well, this is well, this all gets down to identity issues we can talk about all day, for sure, because they, but that's a little bit more of a, of a creepy, these are the lessons you just have to learn uh, as an individual as you navigate through the uh, web space but as far as censorship and freedom goes there's so many big headlines that are out there right things storylines that keep progressing and keep I, last bill last time you were in here the elon musk twitter thing was was still going on yeah. that was months ago that was back in june or something like that or july i forget what it was it was prior. No, it was prior to the mines, uh, the mines event in the city. So it was back in June, and here we are. It looks like this. We got this weird back and forth between Twitter and Musk. Now the government, to a degree, is involved, and uh, it looks going to be settled down pretty soon. Uh, what are you guys picking up with that whole thing? I love to talk about mines too. What's what's going on there? What's new with that? But since this has been ongoing for months and months now, where do you think it's going to end up, and what's actually possible for it? Honestly, I feel like we're being told very little about what is actually happening. It seems like it is approaching finality, but, you know, it's so much money. I mean, even Elon is probably like, geez, <laughs> it's really, uh, really pushing me to the edge here. Right. I mean, $44 billion, that's that's not fucking around. So, and he has a whole group of investor partners that he's brought, you know, it's not just him. It's like a whole group of like huge heavyweights in the, in the tech space that are getting involved. So, I mean, look, the, it, we want it to go through. Like it's tw Twitter being owned by Elon Musk is better than Twitter being owned by current objectively. owners. Objectively. He, and even if he doesn't do a hundred percent of what he says he's trying to do, it's still going to put us in a better place and hopefully get us to a point where Twitter and Minds and all of the other, you know, decentralized social networks can interoperate and and work together as opposed to this kind of chaotic, you know, big tech versus uh, you know, free speech tech. Right. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then because and it's it'll be a good way to talk about Minds there too. What are you doing with Minds that whether it be new or just long-standing practice, that if, if suddenly tomorrow the the board at Twitter 
everybody said, oh, you know, Bill, we want you to take this thing over. We're giving you the whole company. What do you do with the infrastructure? What were the what were the first like four or five changes you guys would make? You can both throw in your ideas. What were the first four or five changes you can do you would make to Twitter? Open source all the code. Okay. So that everybody can inspect what's going on, and we can see the whole version history of the code, so we can understand the the manipulation that has happened in the past. Elon has said that he will open source the code, so that's absolutely essential for transparency. The messages need to be end-to-end -end encrypted. The fact that they're not is the most absurd thing on planet Earth. Literally, thousands of Twitter employees can just read everybody's private messages. Yeah, that's just that's ridiculous. The fact that they the tech exists to easily do that and they haven't is like that speaks to their intentions elon has also mentioned that he would do that that's good um and then you've got free speech policy obviously so completely revamp the policy to be aligned with the first amendment as opposed to this like monstrosity of a content policy which they have right now which one no one even knows what it means or what to do yeah like this is this is bannable you know trump's bannable but like terrorist leaders are not bannable it's, it, it makes no sense so the policy needs to be revamped then they need to move into decentralized infrastructure so literally moving towards more censorship resistant protocols and this is so mine's actually just integrated with a protocol called Noster which stands for notes and other stuff transmitted by relay it's kind of a funny uh, funny acronym, but it's a decentralized relay network. So now every user on Minds has a crypto key pair, which is basically your identity. So you can actually port your identity, your content, and your followers to other apps that aren't mine. So so it's it's portable in that sense, and you have control over your content. So Frank, if you go to your go to go to more, okay, and go to settings. Settings. And then go to, uh, see where it says Noster, right? Just to the right of the mouse. Noster. There, yeah. So there you see this key that you have. You can download that key, and that is control over your identity, your content, and your followers. So you can actually log into other apps that are not mines that people have built on the Noster protocol, and you can keep all of those assets. Even if you kick me off? Even if mines? I kick you off. Oh, wow. Which I wouldn't obviously do. That's tremendous. Yeah. So, <laughs> that's, so that's, that's where we're moving, and that's what you know. There's a, there's a number of different protocols which are working on stuff like this, but and then additionally, you know, we need better governance, community governance, so that the community can help evolve it. That's what open source can help do, and we need more revenue sharing. We need more monetization for creators, and so you know, I could I could keep going, but um, Matt, I don't know if you have any other. Uh, oh, you know. <clears throat> You know, just retroactively, it would be nice to know what their algorithm has been for their censorship on Twitter and just sort of expose, like if I was to, if Elon Musk was to take it over, a bill was to take it over, it'd be nice for somebody to like expose what's been going on. Absolutely. And say, okay, up until this point, Twitter has been censoring people because of this and this mm -hmm. and actually have it right out on the table. I'd also probably... <clears throat> I'd fire everybody that worked there and, and rehire. Me too. Because after that Project Veritas video came out where those people were just submitting, oh, we're communists as fuck over here. We love, we're all socialists over here. We hate conservatives. We, we, were, tr we were purposely trying to censor Trump and everything to do with, you know, so they were just absolutely admitting. I'm with you. Yeah, that they're anti-free speech and you got to fire all those people. I would agree with a lot of that. I think that there are a, there's certainly a percentage of like brilliant people who work at Twitter. 
Um, for well, there was we just learned of that whistleblower the other day who actually got brought into the Musk suit. So the former head of security at Twitter um, just did this huge uh, expose of some of what you're saying. Like basically was showing how their how horrible their security practices were for for years and how he tried to get them to fix it and they just wouldn't do it. And you know it relates to the ignoring ignoring the bots. And that's why Elon's been dragging it on because, you know, if half the users are bots, like, why does he have to pay full price for it? But it's in Twitter's interest to not fix the bot problem because it inflates their numbers, pumps up the valuation, makes everybody think that there's all this engagement happening on the platform where there's not. So, but yeah, I mean, I think that, and this is where it's going to be tricky because once he takes over suddenly it's going to be a little bit against his interest to expose Twitter because if he takes over and then suddenly has access to everything that they've done right. and it's just chaos like way more scandals than we even know maybe there have been hacks that they never told everybody about cover ups. cover ups he so now he has the ability to disclose that information but if he does, it could actually damage the company. I, see, here's the thing. Maybe I, 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 I want to think that he wouldn't do that and that he would just start fresh and just, there's no reason to hide. He, because of how he's just been a user up to this point, if he gets there and he finds all that shit under, under, the, uh, you know, under the hood, I, I would agree that, yeah, it could do a lot of damage if he does not take advantage of the very short, decisive window mm. to, to put it all out on the table and to say, this is what's been happening and this is what is changing. I, I, you got to. You paid $44 billion for that. You cannot adopt their cover-up. You right. can't do it. You have a short window of saying, holy shit, this is what I found, and yes, you were all right. Let me ask you this, though. Because you were talking about uh, addressing the bots and all that, and people speculate a lot about, okay, well, all of this, it's almost like with the FBI. The, the more that we get farther away from the scene of a crime, the more that we give people who are obviously in cahoots with each other that don't want to get caught for and held accountable for multiple things that they've done, um, you're giving them time to very craftily cover their tracks, delete evidence, these smash phones, whatever the hell it is. So a lot of people think that, oh, over the last couple of months, Twitter's had plenty of time to get rid of all the evidence of the things that they've done. On the other hand, I always hear from techies that not, when it comes to computers, nothing is ever lost. What should we believe? Is it possible that Twitter has been able, the, the people who have been, you know, fuck everybody, we're, con we're proud fucking commies, all that, should, could Do we believe that that crowd that has had significant sway on the company and its direction over the last however many years, they have had ample time to make sure that when he does come in with his teams, they don't find a lot of what they've been doing or is nothing truly ever lost? It's possible that some stuff could be hidden, but you have to you know, remember that if you're an employee at a company and you get caught for destroying evidence, like that's gonna make things even worse for you potentially than if you just admit what happened. So, you know, once he comes in and hires a cybersecurity audit team to just absolutely inspect, I mean, you can find tombstones and, you know, fingerprints. Yeah, I mean, essentially you're right. Like it is incredibly difficult. Even if you delete something, it's not deleted like there's it's it exists the data exists in all these different caching layers 
all throughout that the the web and on different drives and it's it's not easy to completely delete stuff and i think it would increase the risk profile of a lot of people who are working there so i think that yeah i'm really interested in like what what dorsey's involvement was because he just sort of like you know quietly backed away like very relatively recently yeah and it's like he's been there i mean he he, he left for a little while um, but you know he's the founder. He he knows about all the skeletons, and I'm sure he's under like super strict NDAs, which is why we haven't heard from him much. But it's just so odd to me that he's texting to Elon. He knows about you know he's a big Bitcoin guy now. He is sort of seeing the light in a sense. But you know that he was involved in yeah. so many of these decisions, specifically with censorship, specifically with a lot of the surveillance stuff. And so, yeah, I'm really curious to to know what happened. I mean, it's going to be fascinating if it all gets put out there, and if, and he takes the company private and just starts starts doing things the right way. So it's you know it's interesting times, man. Why do you think? Why do you guys think that the the leaders and the founders of these social media networks seem to lean so far pro censorship, so far to the left on so many issues? You know, seems like Zuckerberg and Facebook's like that. You know, you keep hearing all these like Veritas type of Zuckerberg thinks that he supports free speech. He somehow convinced himself of that. He gave a speech at Georgetown <laughs> like a, a few years back and it was just such a like gaslight about how, you know, Facebook works really hard to protect free speech and it's um you know, he think even if you watch his his interview on Rogan and um he also got interviewed by um I want to say Tim Ferriss, but I, I, I think it was maybe somebody else. But he, he really does think that he's standing up for free speech, and he thinks that he's, like, working on decentralization. And he thinks and he says and thinks that he cares about privacy because he implemented some shady encryption on WhatsApp that nobody can even inspect. So it's like WhatsApp, people say that it's encrypted, but WhatsApp doesn't show their source code. So there's no way to actually know if their encryption is actually you know has any back doors in it or not so I, I i honestly think that he i think he has convinced himself that he's on the right side of history in terms of censorship and like that they let a lot go you know right i think the big ones the big ones when we talk about alphabet when we talk about uh facebook anything that i think has ever gotten any government money when we're talking about the gigantic I mean, even just the start of the internet, which were it, it, the, the military intelligence is so deeply entwined with it all. DARPA, Incutel. I mean, when you got that going on there, I always just believed that it was. It made most sense to me that the bigger the company, especially in a social media sense, was really more like a, another way of getting people to come on in and uh, adopt it as the new forum, the new, this is where you get everything, this is where you spill your thoughts, it's a great spy tool. Um, I, you can't say that you're, you're violating people's Fourth Amendment rights when they have been taught and compelled to just blurt out everything that they think, everywhere that they're going, what they're eating, who they're voting for. Um, so I think that the bigger ones, it's more so along, I think you can't, you can't separate that influence there. Uh, as far as why would they be so pro-censorship? Because 
Um, it's it's not necessarily. I mean, it's pro censorship in one direction. As right. They're trying to preserve a hive mind approach to everything, and that is to bolster the centralization of it all with them and all their colleagues and all of their their uh, their financial backers at the at the top of the pyramid. But um, when it comes to now, we have a lot of parity. I mean, you guys represent mines. We've got Gab out there. We've got you know so many other smaller uh, places that are doing pretty well. Everybody has terms of service. You can't get a, you can't get around that. You have to have some kind of quality control. Some people think that if you're not able to do and say absolutely everything, that it's censorship. It's just not. I mean, there, there's got to be some kind of fucking decorum, but. Um, I think you finally see parody now. Uh, it, five to seven years ago, very hard to see parody, and I think it was a lot easier for people to, to to assume that this was all a big that the internet was just a big honeypot from the beginning, you know, in some way. Mm -hmm. Right. So you think that now that we've had time to catch up, you think that it's that alternatives are going to rise. I think. Uh, yeah. I, well, at least we're going. We're in a s position right now. I think that it all falls under that category of the quickening that uh, you have people rushing toward uh, outlets that are going to be a lot more complementary to them, their outlooks to, to facilitate them. We're seeing a lot more parity and competition in the field. At the same time, the bigger people, they see that there is a big awakening going on as to at least at least to how the internet has worked and how they are being totally shut out. I, uh, 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 bitter red pills have been swallowed over the last two years just in the way that we have been fed misinformation on things like election interference, Hunter Biden, how that whole thing was suppressed. That's something that people Russia notice. Gay, all this Ru stuff. Yeah. yeah, people notice that shit regardless of political party. Um, everything that had to do with COVID, uh, even right down to the fact that we now see that the, some of the biggest lies about this shot that was able to prevent infection, that they never even tested for it, that it came out in testimony in Europe now, you, you, you put all two and two together that you were banned for even questioning things like this. I, th I, that's mm -hmm. just what it is. It's a, it's a quickening effect. And they're losing their grip. So they're becoming more tyrannical, more nakedly uh, aggressive. Uh, and then we are, uh, we're on our other hands, we're, we're trying to get some kind of footing for hopefully surviving a collapse at some point. It's honestly just sad. You think about probably like million, I wouldn't be surprised if millions of people were banned from social media during the pandemic for posting various links, you know, about COVID studies, even like, you know, many, many doctors were, were banned for, for talking about it. And like, even after certain information has come out proving that that actually wasn't misinformation, those people probably haven't been let back on. No, yeah, probably not. I can't imagine they will be. They'll have to come by, I don't know. There's no humility. Like, humil humility goes a long way, too. Like, if I'm, it's surprising to me that not one of these big networks can just, like, wants to switch gears. And even, you know, I'm not even saying, saying go, like, full-blown, um, full-blown free speech but like at least like separating themselves from the big tech pack like it's a strategic advantage there's there's a huge market so. of people who want that so you would think that one of them would at least be become a little bit more reasonable but honestly like none of them will do it and so we have this cluster of of alternative tech sites 
you know, the, some some that you mentioned. We have Kanye just bought Parlor. What do you think about that? It's it's wild, man. Wild. I mean, Parlor is a is a shit show, to be honest. It, it's they it's all closed source. They are doing the same tech practices as big tech. They use surveillance software. After they got banned from AWS, I, I, obviously I think it's horrible what happened to them. They should never have been deplatformed from AWS. It's good that they have a free speech policy, but they're not doing anything different. Their, their, their tech is not transparent. They use surveillance software. They aren't pushing the envelope in terms of like actually giving users sovereignty over their stuff like in it, it's they've been very politicized too so and that's you know whatever they have the right to do that but i don't it, it's not really like helping the global conversation to just sort of have this like red version of like the blue big tech i don't i don't pers I, I think they have a right to do that i don't personally find it productive and i'm not like interested in what they're doing Technically, honestly, in Rumble's a little bit better in terms of, you know, they have like Russell Brand. They've kind of done some work to have some more um, kind of diverse influencers on there. But like Rumble uses Google Analytics. Like I want to like Rumble, but they're, they're, they're spying on all their users. Mm. Like don't use Google Analytics. Like you're trying to be in this internet freedom space, actually be in the space. Open source your code. Neither of them. Gab, at least their code is open source. They're really the only other one. Library, their code is open source, and or Odyssey. But all of the other, you know, Getter, um, Parler, and Rumble are all closed source. So, what do you, what do you guys think about Truth Social? Did same thing. The... Same thing. Truth Social and um, is it runs on Mastodon. So they basically forked Mastodon. <laughs> which is a open source it's have you heard of like the fediverse no so mastodon is it's it's a decentralized social networking protocol which is actually a, a a a great project but truth just took their code originally they did they wouldn't even share part of the license of the code that they took to build true social is that you have to share your changes with the world you if you're going to use their open source stuff you have to share it they didn't do it for the longest time and they also turned off gab did this too oh yeah because gab also runs on the activity pub or mastodon protocol they turned off the decentralization that enables the different nodes to interact i don't know why they did that because actually when gab i know t i know too much about this uh but when gab first forked mastodon See, the Mastodon community is like a very kind of privacy centric, but all actually like progressive crowd. There's a whole group of like people like Snowden and there's all of these privacy advocates that are very ideologically left, but they actually do care about internet freedom organizations like the EFF. And um, so actually Gab got banned from the Fediverse. So the Fediverse is this group of social networks that can all cross post to each other and when gab came in they they all blacklisted gab which was not cool of them like just because gab is conservative they shouldn't be blocking gab from talking to that network but you know gab has this tendency to be very like 
boisterous, <laughs> which is fine. You know, Torba is a is a wild card, and he can you know, he, good for him. Rant all you want, but like if you're gonna rant, and he basically shits on projects that he forks, and then expects that like they're not gonna blacklist him. Like, you know, I don't know. I think that tone matters and like trying to build bridges as opposed to just like playing this tribal identity politics game like oh like you know to a certain point obviously you have to call out bs on the other side but i don't know i just i think that some of these conservative social networks just go too far and make the polarization situation worse uh yeah i i i think that that's also a knee-jerk reaction for a lot of people because when you're in a situation like on twitter or anywhere else where you have um you've been shown that there's so little you can do and say and uh and and somebody's always looking to report you get you taken down some people have gone through dozens of accounts just to stay in the know and you know you make a comment facebook i I heard about it so when you are in that kind of a situation so much and all of a sudden you hear hey there's this new place there's there's gab there's whatever the hell else you show up and it's almost like oh you want to stretch your legs you want to say things you never said before you want to do you just want to try things and uh it 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 really does become like uh you know who knows like it like a it's sometimes it could become like a scene from Breaking Bad where Jesse's having all those meth parties and everybody's just playing video games and smoking meth and it's <laughs> just because you want to feel the freedom. I know I comp- from a user perspective I completely understand that and like you know ship post away like that's a that's a freaking human right <laughs> to ship post but um, you know specifically with these co- I'm just getting a little bit exhausted by companies saying that they're different but they're not actually different it's just marketing language and you know they don't even fully support free speech like you know one instance with gab is that they actually don't allow any nsfw content really so like they you know because they are kind of have the christian mindset which again they're right i'm not saying they don't have the right to do it but like even twitter allows adult content Gab doesn't. Twitter. If you've seen People versus Larry Flynn, are you, t- are, have you seen are you, that movie? Are you talking about? Hey, there, there was a there was a situation. We're talking about uh, n- that's newsworthy, violent events. Or are you talking about porn? Porn. Okay. No. Yeah. I mean, well, you, you don't think it's you don't think it's it's within. I mean, obviously, no. You think they it's have with, the right, right. but I, but free speech wise, like porn is absolutely protected speech, a hundred percent. So don't talk about the First Amendment if you're going to ban porn. Like, give people filters, make sure people don't see it. But, I mean, even Twitter allows it. Like, what do you – that's not – don't claim you're, you support the First Amendment if you're not going to support – like, it, it's, it's Supreme Court precedent. Right. So I – I get what you're saying about filters and all that. Uh, I think – but, you know, I, I really do believe well, – with Gab especially, since that has been the, the main focus of this leg of the conversation, I, there is a lot more ideological what what the rest of the internet is lacking, and they and spiritual health is uh, is a big part of it. But I understand filters. How open is the whole damn thing going to get? And you'd think that you would give people the opportunity to see what they want and stay away from what they don't want. And uh, that's the thing. Like, uh, and I'm look. I'm not trying to come off as like a judge. On this, like people, you know, Gab has absolutely the right to do that. Um, but 
it, like we have to be willing to deal with things that are uncomfortable to us. Like that's the whole point of free speech. And I know that he thinks that he's like protecting people against like degeneracy or whatever it is, but, and maybe, maybe it is in, in certain circumstances, there's obviously like horrible human trafficking, sex trafficking stuff that happens on, you know, once you, once porn can pro proliferate, but you know, the law is the law. Hmm. Right. I guess like at what point, and this is just like an, you know, a moral question, maybe not be answerable, but at what point does a social media network become responsible for protecting humanity against obvious problems? Like for instance, like the over-sexualization going on in social media. Bill and I were just talking about when you're on Instagram and you're just going through the search feed, how they're just feeding you all this like soft porn. It's uncomfortable it's just, at times. Yeah, it's like it just really girls is. in yoga poses. You can see basically pussy and asshole like coming through the tiny little cloth that they're wearing. And yeah. like, you know, you don't even need porn anymore. You can masturbate to this stuff. I mean, it's more than, it's more than stimulating, right? But like, I don't want to see it anymore. It's aggravating me. I just want to search like news articles and profiles that I like. I don't want to be tempted by all this, yeah, right? Tumblr had a big problem. Uh, Tumblr had a big watershed moment on Tumblr maybe about three or four years ago. I forget when it was. Mm -hmm. When they, of all places, Tumblr yep. banned porn. Yep. And, uh, you know, look, uh, hey, listen, I, I, I'm, I'm fine with whatever because I'm, I'm usually, I go to Tumblr for history posts and debates on one thing or another. Uh, it came, there was, a, there was a time where it was just unavoidable. There's just going to be TNA in your face. <laughs> every, it's just going to show up on your dash and whatever. But then it was just, they said no, no more to it. I know. And that was huge. That was, uh, it, it sent huge uh, ripples throughout the whole um, platform because people use that platform as you know nudist artistic expression that's and all the that. thing man i'm and telling you it's impossible to enforce this line there is no line between art and you know obviously there's hardcore stuff and there's there's not but like even and this is interesting from the left i'm curious what you think about this like a lot of people on the left are very pro sex work because sex work is like you know helpful for you know huge demographics to to survive and actually digital sex sex work can limit the violence that occurs in the sex industry because you know these girls or guys who would be tempted to get into like real world prostitution now don't have to do that and they can do it online and i'm not saying that it's like a good thing to do i'm not casting judgments on it just but like Fact-wise, the existence of digital sex work definitely reduces violence. So, you know, and, and, and like distinguishing, like we deal with this. Like we, you know, you get reports. It's like, is this art? Is this, you know, is this NSFW content? Is this, is this nudity? Is it, you know, it's all on the line. And I, like totally Instagram is insane. Like they, they feed on your most primal instincts. Yes, and and in the second that you tap on one image, they then flood your feed with it, and they want you to become this like monster. Oh, so yeah. it's horrible, and there's no way to turn it off. So like we we take the stance like give users control over their algorithm. If you don't want to see any NSFW stuff, not safe for work. People who don't know that, then you don't have to. But it's gonna be there because if it's legal, it's protected speech, and you know. It, it just gets too dicey when you're saying, oh, this is, you know, bannable. This is like, you just want, look, 
our team of lawyers and content moderators are not going to be better than a multi-century battle-tested protocol called the First Amendment and all of the legal precedent that comes comes with it. This is what's so arrogant about big tech is that they think that they're smarter than hundreds of years of of legal history. Yeah, well, yeah, and and debate and wars fought and and just also just experimentation in in the uh, in the realm of democratic order you know just as far as people seeking some kind of personal representation in uh in in a a society but um as far as what you're talking about with sex work and all that it's it's one of those things for me like nsfw um nothing really nothing really uh, i don't know nothing bothers me if i see something i'll just scroll past it uh, so I, I'm not usually the first one to go run to to say please no no NSFW I don't, I don't want to I usually don't even care because uh, usually if you are out there subscribing to certain things that you want it's very hard to to really start getting inundated with things that you don't and um, but as far as the whole thing with the left being very pro sex work yeah I understand that and to be honest I'm 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 very free market when it comes to things when it comes to even when it comes to prostitution and uh, drug use and all that stuff uh, I, I would never engage with a prostitute I would I, I pray for anybody who feels like this is what they need to do to make a living uh, it's a I think it's a horrible thing to have to come to and I don't think that anybody does it and truly enjoys. I, I can't. I don't know. Maybe there's somebody out there who does, but it's it's one of those things where to, you know, it's only like arresting somebody for being a drug addict. It's like yeah. how, how are you making their lives better? I really think that wars against drugs, prohibitions, and all that stuff only ever makes a thing worse and that you're never really addressing the problem what has driven people to this point what is lacking in society what's lacking in in, in everybody the, and and the other thing there too is you have a reputation in life and reputations are very hard to uh, build and they're very easy to destroy very hard to repair if, if at all afterwards and uh, I don't I don't know I, yeah in it, I, I agree with you it's like just because you support the right of it to exist is definitely not an endorsement I certainly don't endorse it but it has you know a libertarian sort of right to exist and that you know ultimately long term you with things like drug prohibition you know you see um, you see countries with legal with more legalization actually having far lower addiction rates so, I mean, if you look at Portugal, you know, their their addiction rates are are totally under control compared. I mean, the it's not even comparable in the US. Like the the addiction and OD rates are like completely out of control. I've never jumped into this. It's been a long time since I've had any of my uh ANCAP friends or libertarian friends coming on to talk about this because I I do lean toward um getting you know, getting away from prohibition, just knowing how historically it doesn't work, and declaring war against something usually just does not work. The opposite happens, and I. Uh, but but at the same time, whereas I would never want somebody who's using drugs for one reason or another that that their life has taken them in this unfortunate place, and now they're addicted to a substance to throw the book at them and ruin their lives and pull them away from society and all that stuff. Unless, of course, they're committing violent acts along the way, 
but if they're just hurting themselves with substances, I, I don't I don't like that aspect. I'm still undecided. I'd love to hear the arguments for and against what should be done with people who are manufacturing street drugs, who the, the, the selling thereof, especially when you're talking about things as, you know, a couple of flecks of dust of fentanyl can kill a person. I don't know. There's a lot of gray area. I'd love to hear a debate about that because I'm undecided as to where the line is on at least manufacturing things in in a in a basement that can kill. Oh yeah. I mean, when it comes to both these issues, sex work and drug addiction, drug dealing and drug addiction, you know, it sounds pretty nice to say, oh, you know, <clears throat> let people do what they want. You know, if you allow sex work, if you if you condone it and say sex work is real work and start to create this cultural acceptance around it. Yeah. You are denying the obvious darkness and, and evil that does occur there. I had a friend back in Vermont, and he was a male sex worker. He, he gave tantric massages and, you know, hooked up with dudes for money. He was, he was a homosexual sex worker. And he ended up getting stabbed to death. And all the people, you know, in, in his community, they were all, like, you know, there was a lot of these, like, pre-funeral events and a lot of stuff going around on social media that was like, what lessons do we take from this? And people were trying to take the wrong lessons. They were saying, oh, you know, this shows that there's still a lot of hatred towards the gay community. Uh, this shows this and that. And I said, what it shows is that this guy was walking a really dark and dangerous line between drug addiction and, and male sex work for a long time, and it finally caught up to him. Because it's a dark world full of potentially dangerous and dark people. Yeah. It's not all butterflies and rainbows like a girl showing her panties on OnlyFans and making some money, you know. Most of the people engaging in sex work do not really want to be there and probably over half of them are forced to be there in some way shape or form you know so yeah that wow that's that's powerful very, i mean very, the yeah, very, um very well said the trump the other day and i know he was probably being boisterous but did you hear so he he called for uh death penalty for drug dealers <laughs> like in the <laughs> philippines I don't know what he was talking about <laughs> specifically i'm i'm going to if i were to you know kind of steel man him I would say that he was specifically talking about the death penalty for like fentanyl distributors, um, people who you know, which which does you know cause we don't. I mean, just un, unknowable numbers of death. So it's, it's incredible, even so, around here. So I don't know, I don't know the answer to that because you know if you compare it with different chemical manufacturers i know that the intent of fentanyl is is more specific intent but you know for i don't know about manufacturers more where whereas the people who are like cutting coke with fentanyl that's a little bit more potentially like intent to kill i think it's just like is there intent to kill Sure. And it, but yeah, otherwise, yeah. I do not absolutely do not think that that drug dealers sh should be getting the death penalty. Nor like I don't know. It's just way too. It's way too dicey. I mean, even in countries where drugs are legalized, you're still not allowed to deal drugs illicitly. You ha it has to be through you know a government state sanctioned facility where you go to get these drugs. Right. If you're caught selling drugs on the street, you still get in trouble. And I certainly you know death penalty is ridiculous, but there should certainly be quite a large charge for somebody who's manufacturing fentanyl, heroin, crystal meth, crack, cocaine, all these kind of things, because they're absolute killers, and they are real pandemics, you know, like, 
Well, yes. I, 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 a lot to be said there, and I would like to have that, that the debate sometime because yeah. I, I have some very ideologically rooted, grounded um, libertarian friends who would probably have, a, have, have some arguments for and against that they hear and they deal with all the time. I'm, I'm interested in it. Yeah. Uh, before we go to break, let me just, so I don't have to change the title of tonight's show, let me throw this out to you too because this is, a, this is something that I also think that may need a little bit more uh, attention as far as regulation and whatnot. This is playing with fire, the exclusive from the Daily uh, Mail says. It could spark a lab-generated pandemic. Experts slam Boston Lab and Boston University, where scientists have claimed to have created a new deadly COVID strain with an 80% kill rate. They've killed 80% of the rats that they have tested this new COVID strain on, which is some sort of a, uh, a cross between the Omicron spike and the original Wuhan strain, whatever. But this is, being, this is going on in, in Boston, and why? You I want thought to, this stuff was illegal, like gain-of-function research is you, what this sounds exactly like. Yeah, well, th that's why they offshored it to, to China, because it's illegal here. Yeah, right. And why the fuck is this going on? Eight in ten mice infected with the lab-created strain died at Boston University, and just, just, just so odd. I'd be freaking out if I was going to Boston University right now. Have there been any protests about it? Like, that seems like, you know, kind of something that you would expect the, su the student body to, to get involved with. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I would be going wild. No, because it's the pharmaceutical companies that, that are behind these research. You know, it's, uh, the student body doesn't stand up against the pharmaceutical agencies anymore. You know, we don't stand up against big tech, big gov. I mean, just it's crazy how, like, pro the nature of university protests has shifted in the last 20 years. I yeah. mean, it's like... It used to be anti-war, anti-establishment, yeah. anti-pharmaceutical, anything that had to do with large, you know, multinational corporations that were trying to manipulate what was going on. Bill and I used to be pretty big activists back when we were at the University of Vermont students. And yeah, it was a totally different Oh, that's, that's where you guys met in college? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, we were doing tent cities and protesting, you know, the university investing in, like, Raytheon and General Dynamics and Lockheed Martin. And, you know, we were going after the military-industrial complex within the university. Most universities, for people who don't know out there, are invested in a whole s array of weapons manufacturers and shady corporations. They all have these huge endowments and, you know, are invested in... in chaos and so you know yeah that's the type of stuff we used to protest and now it's like you know is um it, you know it, it's 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 all of this kind of in vermont wokeism yeah. yeah yeah in vermont there was a school a high school where the students were protesting that the mask mandate had been lifted they're protesting that they, they took it away they were protesting that it got taken away this is like the very liberal section of vermont like uh. the chittenden county burlington montpelier section and yeah, I mean, they're so brainwashed out there that and, they, you know, it's, it's terrible. The, the day I left Vermont was the day they reenacted the mask mandate after they had taken it away for a little while. They reenacted it. Oh, that was still your I got in my car. That was still, I got in the car. I said, I'm, I'm headed to Florida. I, I can't fucking deal with this. Like at the health food store, where everybody shops. It's like the big hippie store, right? It's like all, all the, you know, organic foods and tempeh and tofu and all that stuff. And they hired on 
armed security guards to guard the doors against people like me walking in without our masks on. And I'm sure that you had people there with the face shields as well. Oh, yeah, there was full face shields. And, I mean, if you walked in there, you got absolutely slaughtered by a host of like, employees, and you'd get tackled by these security guards. Like That's incredible, man. <laughs> yeah. I feel like we've already forgotten what transpired, like, a year ago. It's, it, like, it's already fading away, and, like, people aren't – there's there's – it's like, how do we... I mean, it's probably better to just move on, to be honest. Because the people like, who are pro-vax are like, they're embarrassed now. Like, they don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, it's like, that's all they wanted to yeah, talk about yeah, but when, this is the, thing, when the media was supporting them. But now that all the facts have come out, they're like, let's not talk about this anymore, shall we? Like, we're all beyond this No, now. no, we shall not. Because you want to know something? This is not looking back. This is not like, uh, you know, people looking back at the way they were dressing in the 1970s and saying, wow, those fucking bell bottoms were ridiculous. <laughs> you know, you, you were, what, what happened over the last two and a half years is war crimes. These were acts of war, and people were complicit in this shit. On the lower level, they, took, they, they swallowed the propaganda. We had propaganda combined with hypochondria, and it created a fucking bomb in this country and around the world where we lost family, friends forever, socially. Forget about what is going on with people now uh, biologically. And, right. and, and it's just incredible, again, to see people like this screwing around Boston University because this is more of the same of my problems that I have with so-called continuity of government protocols, where if there's a big tidal wave or something like that, they have they make sure that everybody in government, all the top brass, they're in their bunkers a mile deep, and they're fine. The continuity of government. <coughs> all of our biggest threats, geopolitically, biologically, or otherwise, they, are, they have a direct relationship with government action. Almost everything, if not all of them. So if we're wiped out by some lab-made contagion, or a nuclear attack or whatever, the last thing that should ever be preserved is the government that caused it all. The last <laughs> thing that should ever be preserved. They should be the first thing that get hit by the tidal wave. All right, let's go to uh, our, our break. When we come back, we're going to do super chats, including including some mind, super mind chats. These are going to be great. And and then we will uh, we'll get on to our spooky AI thing, because I can't wait to do this with you guys, and we have got to get it in. So we will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Welcome to Intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Yeah, Intermission. Quite frankly. 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 Quite frank
doing some super chats right now and we're going to go around the horn we're going to go to quite frankly superchat.com we're going to go check out to see if there's anything there on rockfin we'll go to the rumble rants and we're going to go to the super mines on mines which uh, i hope uh, bill is able to give us a little bit of a tour of this thing because my oh my so fun to get another uh to, to learn new tricks and you know the great thing is bill i have such a hard time staying up to date with all of these platforms but i've always been very happy to be on mines and the fact that the i know that each episode is synced so it's there and now it's synced with twitter and other things i i'm very happy that there's a way to keep my account populated and i go there um and i can just talk with comments and I'm happy yeah it takes that. the weight off man it's a lot to maintain all these different platforms it is and i'm sure you hear it all the time yeah I'm oh sure. yeah for sure it's a huge barrier to entry i mean people are People are invested in their in their legacy systems, and you know, moving is is not a big deal. So we try to make it easy so you can you can migrate some stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, the quick the quick version of Superminds is basically Superminds are a way to get your to send offers to your favorite creators to reply to your questions. And the the main difference between Superminds and Super Chats is that on Super Chats. You're basically giving a donation and elevating your chat so that you know you hope it gets responded to. But with Superminds, you you don't you get your money back if you don't get responded to. And it can also happen, you know, anytime. So it you know, you can go to minds.com slash quite frankly. There's a supermind button on the page, and you can, you know, say Hey Frank, here's ten bucks if you answer this question, and then Frank will just have that. It expires after seven days, so if he doesn't respond for seven days, you get your money back. If he does, everybody's happy. You can request a video reply, a text reply. You can kind of get image. creative with it, an image reply. So yeah. Oh, okay. I just saw the text reply. Well, we let's. You know what? We're gonna do those in just a second. Let me. Uh, I have just. Uh, populated all them in one window. Let's go to super, quite frankly superchat.com first. Clear these out. There's only a couple. Mike and Robin says, "Great show tonight, Frank. The best two hours on TV. Keep up the good work." Thank you, Mike and Robin. It's great to have you out there again. Stow Stube from Massachusetts. Frank and Company. Thank you. Great listen tonight as always. Be well, gents. And then that's where we're going to go on over to Superminds. First one up is from myth informed mike myth m-y-t-h myth informed mike who said would minds welcome the research of censored doctors such as peter mccullough and robert malone on the platform of course obviously i've actually talked with uh with dr malone in email and we're hoping to get him over and yeah i mean god dude i mean those were 
those were insane episodes of Rogan. I, I remember just devouring those. And, you know, regardless of uh, controversy around it, like, yes, we, we, we welcome all, all opinions. McCullough just got sniped from, from Twitter. Twitter. Yeah. I, I'm surprised. Listen, given the... the surprised he lasted as long as he did. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Given the atmosphere, <laughs> I'm surprised he lasted that long. Yeah. But, you know, when you're as accredited as he, as he is and... I don't know, but I, I would think that they would have taken him out months and months ago just because he's made InfoWars a second home. I'm surprised that they right. took out McCullough after this whole Alex Berenson f- uh, episode. Have you heard of this? Yes, where so, he came back. So, Bar- yeah, they let him back. So anyone doesn't know, Berenson's former New York Times writer, wrote, writes a lot about COVID, got banned from Twitter, sued Twitter. The court said he had to get let back on. In the process of suing Twitter and getting discovery, meaning he can request documents from them, he got documents which prove that Twitter banned him at White House request. So there was this guy, I think his name's uh, Andy Slavitt at, uh, at the White House, wow. who, who was yeah. basically ordering Twitter. So, you know, there, there's all this uh, debate. Oh, you know, the White House isn't uh, forcing these networks to take stuff down or the FBI is not forcing Facebook to take down the Hunter Biden story. And like, you know, in terms of force, I don't know exactly legally about that. But what we know is that the White House was telling Twitter, why haven't you taken this guy down yet? It comes down to this, that that one old clip of George Carlin and I just played last night where uh, he was telling a doubter about war- about conspiracies of people who plot and collude to make the world the way that they want them. And he said, you don't need a formal conspiracy when interests converge. You know, you don't, mm. there, there's very rarely, when you have people who are this in tune with the way that they want to see the world formed, reformed, then it's really just a matter about pointing, clicking, a wink, a nod. You know exactly what somebody's thinking. You're go- you've gone to all the same schools of thought. You've worked on each other's campaigns. I mean, you know what's good for the goose is good for the gander. So uh, it- it's very hard to find smoking guns like that uh, these days because it's just, you know, it's like yeah. it's unspoken. You-, you just know what they're doing. I love that quote. Yeah, I wonder how much big, you know, big tech censorship that happens is a direct result of government involvement that we just don't know about. You know, like... Zuckerberg admits that the FBI came to him and requested that he that he cover up the Hunter Biden well, laptop Well, that's not story. exactly what he said. Well, it's what? not exactly what he said, but it's exactly what he implied. I mean, they they suggested that there's going to be some major inf- mis- misinformation coming out regarding that specific topic. I mean, I'll put it this way. We posted that clip on Twitter. It got like 12 million views. It was the clip of Zuckerberg on Rogan saying that the FBI contacted them and, um, you know, to be on the lookout for election misinformation. And yes, he implied that that was what caused them to, you know, take, you know, suspend the or, or limit the reach of the Hunter Biden story for the period of a week. But this is this is the game they play. They, they don't they don't like to, you know, directly admit it. You know, they, and, and the, the White House and the FBI, they know that, you know, they don't they're not going to say like oh you're going to like what are they going to do they they're not going to say oh mark zuckerberg we're putting you in jail if you don't censor, censor well, I this just, information i just i just wonder you know like when you get to that big when you're as big as facebook and mark zuckerberg like you're as big as twitter i think there's a certain point where certain agencies do come to you and say listen you're now you know responsible for this many billions of people's like information 
I think well, I, we, there's certain topics that I guarantee that they come down. Yeah, Bill, you know, you, you, just, there would be a threshold before somebody comes knocking on your door. <laughs> we've we've had that joke with Bill. I mean, it would be. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I guess it's a matter of how you respond. Yeah, I mean, there no, that we we have. There, there has been. There was one specific case, and this was actually a case of some illegal content, um, which, and this was covered in like Reuters, where um, in Pennsylvania this guy was posting, and he posted he, he posted on multiple networks, not just mine's, but um, you know basically this you know violent image of like uh, it was an animated image actually of like shooting a crowd, mm. and you know, but it was perceived to be a true threat of violence which it does violate the law and so you know yeah i mean they they came and you know we we abide by the law but it's uh i i absolutely agree that there's full teams of people at the white house at the fbi probably at intelligence agencies who are in communication with social networks full time yeah well yeah. there there was a uh, it was dr shiva dr shiva ayadurai he was he was pulled in with um, a lot of the different teams that were doing projections and mathematical projections and probabilities of the the election. He was he, uh, I mean, he's been around for a long time. We were talking a lot about he was on the show multiple times to talk about immunity in 2020 when, of course, the the pandemic lockdowns all started and shit like that. But after the 2020 election, he was recruited by people like. Uh, I forget. He was there for the symposium that um, what's what's we call uh, the the pillow guy, my pillow, Mike Lindell. Mike Lindell put together, and he was doing a lot more uh, mathematical probabilities and or improbabilities of what was happening, not only with vote tallying and processing and irregularities within the votes themselves, but he also went into the social media behavior and the way that it was linked up with government, even in state governments like Florida. I remember he was on the show talking about it, that it crossed party lines, that not that it was more so whether it was Republican, he had evidence that of Republican and Democrat candidates that were working with state governments as almost like a liaison between Twitter to make sure that certain unaccountable and untamable candidates, like dark horse candidates within either party, were suppressed and and mm. and kept at bay. That uh, he 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 claimed pretty vehemently that this was a um, yeah. Obviously, the bigger the bigger the race, the bigger the impact, and the bigger the controversy. But that yeah. happens all the time. And yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, you hit certain scale, and the reality is that you have interests from both sides who have every reason to mass report certain accounts and try to get them banned. And that's kind of the game that gets played. Yeah, you you can get these mobs right. to try to take out different content, and you can you know whether you have an inside connection at the moderation team or you literally just unleash the mobs and you know use the report function. Right. That's. That's what they're dealing with. Well, let's get another uh, another Supermind yeah. in here. Let's go. Supermind from Jinx81 says, uh, For Bill, what was the significance of the FBI working with Meta and Twitter to silence the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop? Yeah, I mean, I think we kind of went through it a little yeah. bit. But the, the significance is that we need disclosure of the specifics of this relationship. I mean, it, it's just all vagaries coming yeah. out of Zuckerberg. 
and let's understand exactly what was said and 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 put an end to it there's just like the fbi has no business being a moderation arm of social media <laughs> no correct <laughs> <laughs> correct it's yeah correct well, he, well here now here's one that'll give us a nice little segue into the rest of the show this is from raymundo and Raimundo says, will AI ever become sentient? If so, how will it impact humanity? Um, I believe there has to be some kind of sentient AI that is maybe has not been sprung into public just yet. A lot of people are saying that a lot of these chat bots have become sentient in, in one way or another. And uh, there's a lot of debate about that. Bill, last time you were on, we were talking about that. Mm -hmm. The whistleblower that came forward from one thing or another saying that yeah, I think it was Google Google chat but um, I don't know what do you guys think about this generally and then we're going to go into some really creepy things that have been happening on the internet between this comp this uh, this internet working in tandem with AI and what's been uh, what's happening there I want to talk to you about that so go ahead yeah I mean I guess the question really is what is sentience is sentience self-awareness is sentience the ability to dream the ability to, to create to use imagination and creativity i think it's pretty easy a lot of people are saying you know they're going to make these ai robots appear to be sentient and that's going to be one of these deep fake situations where everybody believes that there's actual consciousness there mm. sentience there but that there's not that it's just a series of algorithms that this robot doesn't actually have the ability to, to think freely so I don't know enough about it, but that's what seems to be the debate on it. Yeah, I would agree. That's exactly where I would come from. I, I think sentience is, you know, simulation of sentience is not sentience. So, you know, when I look at, like, I mean, we use machine learning systems and, and AI on minds and for some of the uh, recommendation functions and also for, like, learning how to detect bots, actually. And it's definitely not... A you know conscious system that is like some organic system in there that is uh, you know gonna jump out of the computer and take over the world. So I think that that doesn't mean that there like there's definitely insane danger of weaponized AI. You know getting out of control. You get a um, you know a Tesla what do they call it? Optimus bot or a Boston Dynamics little dog running around the streets with a you know, fully automatic weapon strapped to its back and it just like, you know, s starts taking things out like that. That could easily happen in the same way that, you know, tens of thousands of Tesla cars could, you know, drive off a cliff if something went wrong with the, the centralized programming. So, yeah, I don't think that AI is sentient. I don't think that it is, you know, even close. I, w I would say that like a plant is more sentient than even an AI that passes the Turing test. The Turing test is, for anyone who doesn't know, is, you know, basically this historic test about um, tricking a human, a machine tricking a human that the machine is human. And so if the, if the machine can convince a human that it's a human, then it passes the Turing test. Um, and then, like, Ray Kurzweil has come out with some more advanced Turing tests because, actually, the Turing test is already being beaten. Like, lots of people get tricked by even very basic chatbots yeah. can trick a human because, you know, you have to know how to interact with it in order to convince it. But, 
Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, so I would say no in terms of, like, human consciousness. That doesn't mean that it's not intelligent. That's why it's called artificial intelligence. Yes. Yeah. Okay, so I, my thing there, too, is who, I, first of all, I always say, who knows? Because with over the course of 100 years, uh, God knows what the hell have, go, is going to go on here. But there's no way to actually create a human soul and uh, to, to manufacture a human soul from any of our endeavors, I don't believe. But what I do believe here, as we're getting into spooky season and we're opening up the doors to something a little bit more esoteric, I do believe that AI creates a sort of cybernetic body for something that is sentient to occupy. I I do believe that that is a possibility, mm. and I, I don't know. I consider it like I consider AI as a sort of Stargate, and when we talk about weaponized artificial intelligence, for example, we have this thing that I want to show you. Now, for everybody at home, I'm going to put some things on screen that may be very disturbing. Uh, just in its in its, deg I don't know. It's just very weird shit. So if you are if you're kept awake at night uh, because of disturbing images, it's not like, uh, I don't know, definitely no children. You got to make the kids go to bed just for a little bit, all right? Here is a headline from The Sun, and it comes with four weird, very weird pictures. I see you, it says. Creepy AI creates disturbing images of bleeding human eyes when asked if it was real. Take a look at this. So... This right there, it look, it's, it's, it's some messed up shit. If you woke up in the middle of the night and that's facing you, you you're taking uh, a, a look into your soul, you'd, 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 you'd scream. Um, this kind of stuff, guys, this weird, weird, dark shit is... It, 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 these are these AI composite images that have been flooding the internet now for so long it's I don't even know where the hell it's going. It's like yep. it's, I go up there now. Do you, you know what a tulpa is? No. Okay, so a tulpa is pretty much like a a mental projection, a creation that you can through concentration and other types of human will and other little ritualistic ways that you can actually create a mental projection, a separate entity from you that can take many different forms, but they, it is really just a mental creation. And it brings something out of the ether into a little bit more of a physical, physical existence. And there's a lot more you can read about. Oh, let me see if I can find a little bit about. Uh, you mean like an imaginary friend? Yeah, almost like that. Or like an actual, <laughs> separately sentient. Because that sounds like you're reading some Carlos Castaneda, brother. Oh yeah, we we, we were yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've definitely read that before, but uh, let me see here. Thoughts that can come alive. Where the hell is it? Meditation. Tulpas. Where the hell? Wiktionary. I've certainly heard of concepts just like these before. I've never heard it called a tulpa. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I, I want the no bullshit definition here, so I don't have to... Because I, I know what it is, but it's just... Here you go. Okay. A tulpa is a personality that was created by conscious effort of another personality in the same body. Now, as far, it's it's a it's a broad term because there's something that's separate from it, that's separate from your body. It's not just like splitting your personality away, but what I feel like is happening here between this and the ability for AI to, again, here's a chatbot, a chatbot that people are using to supposedly talk 
with dead loved ones for for hours with only ten dollars and all you need is five easy questions to be able to do it i really do believe so look at this beyond the grave creepy ai allows you to text with dead loved ones for hours for only ten dollars sounds you, like a scam to me yeah it, well i mean th there's definitely a monetary reason for all this but once you put somebody's human consciousness into this i do believe that between that and the technology itself i'm going to go to jordy rose soon here's another one this person discovered a woman or the form of a woman who he now calls Loeb or loab back in april the ai reproduces what it says the ai reproduced her more easily than most celebrities her presence is persistent and she haunts every image as she touches so take a look this is i'm going to just show you the two one this right here the variations of this face and it's not so much that because we've seen ai generated faces before they've been i've been reading articles about that for a long time where they'll give you big grids of faces and they say everybody on this grid is not real where they'll just take random composites from people from facebook and twitter wherever they're they're uploading and boom right. you have new faces and you're like whoa that's not a real person right but the 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 tendency of ai composite art to get demonic and dark and weird is so fucking freaky and consistent dude i have no clue what to even make of it but it seems like it's taken on life of its own in that respect it's got to be partially because of so much morbid imagery that's just out there for these ai bots to to, to feed from because mm -hmm. they're just going out and taking composites like you said from every image that they can find on the internet and the internet's flooded with these horrible violent bloody morbid images right that's what people are obsessed with yes so i think that has a lot to do with it maybe why ai is producing these things if if it was all rainbows and butterflies that's what the ai would, yeah, would it, reproduce and you've got you know just the fact that what it's doing is creating these composites you know the nature of like of an art fusion is going to create like surreal like trippy stuff so it's gonna kind of inherently have a a spooky feeling it's not you know again yeah. it really comes down to what the code is specifically doing and you know so rather than thinking that oh okay these these ai like image generators are like possessed by some sort of like satanic force i would i would go more towards it's like to what you said it's it's actually feeding from the darkness of humanity Right. I mean, every movie that comes out now is like a human centipede, tear your fucking throat out of you. You know, it's, it's all the most horrible stuff, all those hostile movies. I mean, this is what people watch these days. Well, so. I'm glad you guys bring it there because now I want, I want to add a new layer to this. Do you, have you ever listened to any of the, the talks that Jordy Rose from, um, from D-Wave ever, has ever given over the last few years? No. No. Okay, Jordy Rose, he was the founder of D-Wave that pretty much they were pioneers in quantum computing and they had plenty of high-end partners and and clients like nasa and google and all that so he's in with the in crowd here is a two minute and 30 second video of him talking about the kinds of doorways that are open through quantum computing he's talking about doorways to other worlds and he actually uses love hp uh, lovecraft as an example of how to describe the types of entities that we are eventually going to come in contact with and i'll tell you why i'm bringing it up but it's it's weird in itself so listen to this
My previous company was D-Wave. I'll just uh, show you a couple things. We built what are still the world's only quantum computers that you can buy. So D-Wave builds quantum computers. The way that they work, if you know this, how this works, is one of the interpretations is that you tap into these parallel universes and they one do One of the guys who talks about this is Elon, who uh, says things like this. Like, when you do this, beware. He says, with artificial intelligence, we are summoning the demon. You know how all those stories where there's a guy with a pentagram and the holy water, and he's like, yeah, he's sure he can control the demon, but it doesn't work out. Now, that was, uh, that was in 2014 or so. Around 2015, uh, around 16, or that's where he completely switched his tone and took the whole, if you can't beat him, join him mentality, mm -hmm. and that's when he announced Neuralink. He said, all right, well, we, I guess we just have to go take the ball over, the, uh, over the, the goal post. But anyway, that was his original thing, that artificial intelligence is going to be like summoning the demon. But continuing. Because you think, just like the guy in the stories, that when you do this, you're going to put that, that, that little guy in a pentagram, and you're going to have your holy water out, and you're going to wave it at the thing, and by God, it's going to do exactly what you say and not one thing more, but it never works out that way. So uh, this, is an, this is an attitude that some are having, this emerging alarmism about the way this is, is going to go. But this, these words, demons, doesn't capture the essence of what's happening here. Uh, I don't know if any of you are uh, turn-of-the-century weird fiction fans, but there's this guy named H.P. Lovecraft, who's a very famous American weird fiction author. And he exposed a, a view which is called cosmicism. And the essence of cosmicism is cosmic indifference. So he, what he was saying is basically, yes, there are these massively intelligent entities out there, but they're not good, they're not evil. They just don't give a shit about you even in the slightest. The same way that you don't care about an ant is the same way they're not going to care about you. And these things that we're summoning into the world now are not demons, they're not evil, but they're more like the Lovecraftian great old ones. There are entities that are not necessarily going to be aligned with what we want. Now, right there, I got to stop. See, what you, you, because he starts off by saying that these new systems that we're building are going to, they're never going to turn out the way that we predict and uh, never going to do exactly what we tell them to do. And then goes on to conclude that infinitely superior entities, wherever they are on the other side of this Stargate that he's helped build, essentially are not motivated by good or evil. He knows they're not motivated by anything. They just don't care about us. So I, I don't know how you can be certain about that. Um, but either way, 30 more seconds. So this transition is really, really massively important for our entire species to navigate and Going back to that thing that Sam Harris was saying, nobody is paying attention. This thing is happening in the background while people bicker about politics and what, what's going to be in the health care plan in the U.S. And underneath it all is this rising tsunami that, if we're not careful, is going to wipe us all out. So when you, when you say that, guys, um, my question for you is, it, how can you be certain that whatever the hell we we might be communing with has no motivation of good or evil? Why are we only assuming that there are no lesser, other than these great old ones, lesser mischievous entities clawing at the back door? That's what I wonder. I mean, what I just 
there's some interesting nuggets in there, but he didn't say anything specific about what he's talking about or any communications that are occurring. I don't, he didn't talk about his specific, I would need to look more into what his company is doing and what types of right. data streams they're, right. How they're, do, they're witnessing that makes him think that he's dealing with some sort of like indifferent cosmic entity. Yeah, I don't know quantum. how quantum computers work. I don't know what he's saying, like how it's reaching into the other realm. It sounds like some, you know, some stranger things type of stuff. Well, the DOE, they, they, they actually uh, very awkwardly dropped that on Chelsea Handler's show back in 2017 when Stranger Things came out. The, this 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 former head of the the Department of Energy was there and said that yeah we do now I don't know if dabbling in other universes in parallel dimensions is something that is just an, another way that um, you know uh, galaxy brain mathematicians use to describe something that is not an actual physical location or a spiritual location at that um, but. He even said it back then, and people didn't know, even know how to how to. Uh, somebody cracked some weird LSD joke because it's such a trippy thing to say that they do dabble in parallel universes. And of course, we have all those old rumors, the Preston Nichols and everybody else that talked about what was going on with the Montauk Project and things like that. So we only have rumors to go by in many respects. But uh, quantum computing is is a newer chapter of this speculation. Yeah. I just feel like yeah. we don't know what we don't know, and I mean, I love a good you know conspiracy about the government computing uh commuting with multi-dimensional entities uh but you know the reality is that we need disclosure that's just what we need like we we don't know what is happening we're in no position to know you know uh, yeah like the montauk stuff the the time travel stuff like like it's it's great lore but yeah, I mean, we just need we need declassification of of everything that happened, and even I think there was actually a major new uh, uh, movie released today by uh, called Moment of Contact, which is like apparently like a, a really good new UFO documentary that that has some new information in it. But you know, it seems like they're starting to talk about certain things, and the Pentagon is slowly released. Like I don't know if you guys saw the interview with. Uh, on Lex Fridman's show called with Ryan Graves. Did you no, see that? No. Holy shit. So this guy's a Air Force pilot, you know, decorated, and talks about how him and his whole um, ship would see these sphere it's a cube inside a sphere. Mm-hmm. And that's what these objects looked like that they would just repeatedly see, like going around at insane speeds. And it's just crazy to he like hear about, you know, the the geometry of the objects that they were seeing, and you know, well, didn't yeah. they just add a UFO to a, a new logo? What, what was oh yeah, it? I sent you that. Didn't I? What, what was yeah. that again? It was the they they added a flying saucer to some official logo of a, yeah a, I have it of <laughs> a government uh, one thing or another. So we've got it was the office of the director of national intelligence and oh. NIM dash aviation. So the original uh, the seal came out. I don't know if people can. I probably can't see my screen. Hold on, let's see here. But they actually redacted it. So if you look up Office of the Director of National Intelligence official seal, 
you know, and put in flying saucer, you will see the the one. And then apparently they they removed it after this came out. You know, I I I don't know what that means. You um, think it's just trolling? Government. I do think that with patches specifically and seals that you know uh, military groups will get a little bit creative with them and sometimes you know have fun with it so I don't you know it could be as harmless as that but regardless I mean we know that there's a whole department studying UAP now and it's getting taken much much more seriously so it's 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 absolutely right. not a joke no one no one can shit on um UFOs anymore. But it seems like the guy that we were just listening to is suggesting that, you know, rather than there be being UFOs, that's it's more that humans are interfering with alternate universes with our technology and that we're bringing these entities in that way. Yeah. Right. Which is yeah. a very interesting, you know, idea. I mean, that's I, there's just there's so much. There's so much because you wonder how many how many doors, doorways there are into our 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 home here well also you have uh you know a lot of the u.s the whistleblowers in the military about ufos um talk about like in the citizens hearing on on ufos which i highly recommend people watch it's like dozens of military whistleblowers talking about their experiences but uh, i think it was robert salas um who worked at a nuclear weapons facility um, and blew the whistle about these objects that were showing up and shutting down the whole facility. Like he w he was there, these these objects showed up, and the whole place just got shut down. So mm -hmm. I think that it is. It seemed like we seem to be seeing objects show up around nukes, and you know the speculation is that the the ETs don't want us messing with nuclear weapons, which. I, that seems like something they would pay attention to, but, but it's, it's, also, it's all speculation. It's all speculation. It's not the. It's, it's well. I mean, it could be the worst thing that we do, especially if we're going to start uh, popping them off uh, at each other, not just testing them on remote islands and deserts and all that shit. But you think about all the other stuff that we're engaged in. Uh, I, I I don't know. It's always been the biggest hang up for me. I I like keeping my mind wide open when it comes to that because it's just it makes me feel good to know that the possibilities are endless um or at least to believe that but at the same time the the thing i keep having a hang up on especially when it comes to ufos and i'm going to talk to this uh, talk about this with a couple of upcoming guests who are a lot more involved with the subject is that for us to have this kind of uh i don't know i would say ambiguous end that is this this spot that we're in right now where we we are do we know do we not know where are we going to get disclosure from the fact that the fact that there is government standing in between us and disclosure makes it very suspicious to me mm. uh it, it, you would think if there's going to be any kind of an alien race out there that is going to that wants to send a signal to us that hey we're your neighbors and you've got some real fucking problems and uh you, you gotta get wise to one thing or another you think that they just show up they would be they'd be so advanced that there's nothing that any uh earthly force can do to stop them from showing up and making any kind of revel revelation official on a yeah. mass scale and have it not be blue beam because i don't think anybody can do anything on that scale that is uh fake and have everybody believe it at this point but at the same time uh if they can be stopped by human governments the human governments must be alien. Be, be, and that's the only thing I can think of. 
Right, or we have technology that we've t that we've taken from them that we're using. Uh, even that, it would be right. a hand-me-down. They, right, they, they, they have would, something they else. Would, they'd have something better. <laughs> so there's no way that, that Earth governments could actually be a firewall in between us. First of all, what the hell would they need from us? As far as, you know, I, I don't... I, the whole thing... Well, yeah, I mean, the, the thought experiment gets weird because, you know, the argument is that extraterrestrials want us to evolve on our own and uh, the idea of intervention could potentially you know it's it's like a a cheat code you know they, they want us to figure out our own stuff so they it's a, it's a star trek prime directive prime directive, prime directive yeah. yes <laughs> i mean you know who knows but also they the the ufos themselves seem to be disobeying that because they're getting captured on camera all over the place at the same time so if they wanted to be hiding, they don't seem to be doing a great job of hiding. Right. Even though, at the same time, all of the footage is kind of garbage. So, <laughs> with everybody with an HD camera in their pocket, you would think we would be getting a lot more high-resolution stuff. Boys, boys, there's just so many places to go with this, isn't it? Yeah, it's oh, true. It's just nuts. Well, let me go and check out our Super Chats again before we start wrapping up for the night. Albert Frederick out there says, hey, Frank, are you sure this is real life? Albert's always very, he doesn't know whether or not this is real life. He asks the question a lot. I'm sure he says it's not. It is. Albert's got to just call in and define what life is for us one night. Let's stop all this pussyfooting. Also, I agree <laughs> with Bill, sentient robots, LMAO. That only works on opossums, just saying. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one, too. It's just what is the pro? What's the program that you're loading up into the robot, and and what network is it feeding from? It's sensory, you know. Any that's just what you give it. So I understand that when you talk about intelligence being artificial, it can be smooth, it can be reactive, but it, but is it going to be us? You know, never. I I can't see that at all. Um, but can it become a cybernetic portal for something that? doesn't have a body right. right now but needs one that'd be sick or in sort of a soulless age are we even going to be able to tell the difference between ai sentience and human sentience you know if if human sentience has lost the very you know the very spark that makes us what we are maybe we'll be no better than this ai sentience and it'll be kind of an equal ground oof that that, that would be the prison state that would be us imprisoned in in the the ghostbuster trap yeah. I really think anybody out there looking for immortality, it's not in a cybernetic body. If they give you the whole thing, hey, we're going to upload you into this computer so you can always be around. That's bullshit. You ever seen Westworld? Uh, no. It's fabulous. Yeah, it's like on its fourth or fifth season on HBO, and it's all about AI. And the, you know, the, I've seen enough yeah. Black Mirror. Yeah, it's very similar it's to that. Similar, yeah. You can walk away with that; just hollows you out. Yeah, I mean, transhumanism is not going away. It's um, it's gonna it's 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 here, and the the double-edged sword of it is, you know, if you have some horrible disease or you're paralyzed or, you know, you have um, also, I mean, who knows what types of diseases or injuries these systems could potentially help resolve, but like that's gonna be the true test you know you ask someone they say oh i would never get Neuralink," and but then you ask them that question when they have become you know quadriplegic and it can potentially fix that you're going to get some very different reactions from people so 
it's super it's super tricky i i i mean it's it's coming and we're you know probably in the next 10 years we're we'll have people in this room who have some sort of implant and they're just querying the internet from there I know <laughs> it's gonna happen, I, I, man. I, I mean, I, I mean, they'll they'll probably be people who just stumble upon the show randomly, though. I don't think anybody who watches this show right now would uh, would would sign up for that. But that's why they're kind of just waiting out, waiting out the older generations who would absolutely say, "Get this shit away from me," and just trying to warm people up to how cool it could be with this newer generations. That's why we got to get kids out of school as quick as possible. <laughs> got to get him get got to get him homeschooled and we got to get him away from all this uh it's multi-level grooming operation. I mean even uh Elon's kids, you know, they started a whole homeschool program. I think it's called Synthesis, which you can check out. Um you know, his kids go to these schools where which he created and their curriculum is basically like see that engine, take it apart and put it back together. Or they'll, or they'll have, and, and then like put it into a car and like create a car. Like it's all based around the philosophy of, of do, like what is your mission? Our mission is to, to build a car. So how are we gonna learn about the car? First, we're gonna take that engine off, put it back together, figure it out. It's, it's all just like do it, hmm. not learn about how to do it, do it. That's what most life is. And that's why I think what we're having such a hard time with um, obviously, there's a lot of psychological uh, reasoning for people uh, being encouraged. You have to go to college. You have to do this. But what is really college for a vast majority of the children that are in there now? It's you're delaying adulthood. It's just de it's delaying adulthood. And many people are going to the undergraduates. Then they're going to, ma to get their masters in one thing or another. And still, it doesn't really raise mm. the. Um, the it's, so many people are not working within the field that they study. They have a mountain of debt, and 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 then you, you delay adulthood, being out on your own, by Ooh. sometimes four to twelve years. It's just just a big party. It's uh yeah, and it's. A, I mean, it, you could be spending. I don't even know. I mean, what? How much is a major university per year? Like it's sixty, seventy k now. I don't UV, know anymore. UVM was for you sixty out of state, sixty k. That was back then. Yeah, I think, yeah. I, I think it's. I think it's even more now. Anyway, it's like, I mean, from the perspective of somebody who you know hires people and looks at, I do look at a lot of resumes, and I have never once cared about somebody's college situation. It means absolutely nothing to me. All that matters to me is, especially for like software developers, when we put them through the interview process, it's like, show us what you can build. You know, let's do a little test. Let's do a little trial. Build something. Don't tell me about your credentials. Create something. And if it seems like you can build with us, then we'll let's build together. I mean, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on a MBA specifically for, you know, a business degree, like it is you could invest that's how much it costs to start a business. Yeah. Invest the money to start the business. Don't invest the money to learn how to create a business and then not be able to start the business. <laughs> yeah, you know, my friend George, he, he graduated with a four-year business degree. He did not know what an LLC was or what an EIN was or any of the articles of incorporation, any of the things you do to start a simple business that anybody can literally figure out online. 
a seven, as you go a seventeen along, year as you go along, yeah. old, a seventeen year old could do this online. From the, he didn't know how to do it after four years of university. They hadn't once just had these kids set up a business by themselves. Oh, dude, that's why I say if I had if if I had to go back, I I don't regret any of the time that I spent in college because I I met some lifelong friends and I that's where I started that's where I started our our radio pursuit. You know, the, what became this show started in February of 2006 on the, the campus of Manhattanville College in Purchase, New York. And, uh, and so, so many great things happened during that time. But if I, can, if I could go back and do some things differently, I would not major in business management and minoring in history. I would have majored in history. I might have made a, maybe minored in literature or something else that was like personally appealing to me, something I just, you know, I, I, I'm interested in. Because like, okay, business management. I think, you know, you learn all the things. I, it, it fucking sucked. I, I'm bad at, uh, I was horrible at accounting and statistics and all this other shit. And when I left, when we started the first studio and all this other shit, you don't recall all of your college training when you go to City Hall to get a, a, a DBA or you learn about your electronic, uh, you know, your, your tax number, your tax ID. You're just learning this thing as you go along. You're, you're balancing a checkbook. It's just basic, basic math. and <laughs> some, uh, it's Yeah, it's not like, yeah, so exactly. They have you taking these sort of shallow intro courses on accounting or statistics or economics or whatever. But the reality is that unless you're going to become an accountant, when you actually run a business, you have to hire a real CPA. So it's not like you would have even ended up doing your own accounting anyway. Right. So it's just completely counterproductive. Yeah, I mean, I majored in English and, you know, I really enjoyed it. And I learned, I think, some pretty good, you know, writing skills and, you know, analytical skills. But, like, it was absolutely totally irrelevant to what I'm doing now. I mean, I, I, it's, I can't say that. It probably has helped me in my sort of comprehension of of language overall, but like I definitely don't see it as being like necessary to what I'm doing. So you know, people well, out there, do, like it's just like do your thing. Don't spend money having someone tell you how to do it. Like it's a waste of time. Anyway, I think you guys. I think uh, on an English level, I think you guys hold up really well here, and I hope that you consider coming back and hanging out with me again sometime soon. It's so it's especially fun to do uh, broadcasting in this studio in the in the winter months and very cozy here. And thank you guys. Um, yeah. Let uh, let just go ahead. Give us some plugs. Let us know. Tell everybody. Get on minds. Hang out with us and everything that they're missing. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I mean, hey, my plug is to go follow Frank and go to minds.com slash quite frankly and, you know, hit him up with some super minds. You'll, you'll, you'll hear from him. I want to see if this, you know, we're, we're gaining traction. I think that for fans, super minds are superior to super chats because, I mean, I'm sure that Frank is an absolute boss in responding to all of his super chats and never lets you down. But, you know, True. the good thing about Superminds, he, he can respond to it any time during the week. He can do them on the show. And guess what? Half of your money is or, you know, all your money's not. The fees aren't going to Google. The, there's way less fees. More goes to the creator. And it also helps uh, a alternative social network that cares about your digital rights. So Indeed. That's it. They do care. Amen. They, they do care. Hey, Matt, Matthew, it was, it was really great meeting you, man. Yeah, you too. Yeah, yeah really thanks for having us on. Oh, anytime. The door is open to you guys, 100%. Hey, Bill, uh, is the the Mines, uh, the Mines, uh, big festival you had in the 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 city over the over uh, the last June? Is that going to be something you want to do yearly? 
It is, yeah. Actually, I think we're going to be doing another one in Austin in April. I'll, you know, slight tease. We don't have details yet, but um, we'll be announcing them soon. Maybe, maybe we can uh, announce it here. Oh, it, 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 Alex Jones is going to be there, obviously. I no no uh, no disclosures yet. You got oh that's the yeah. I, how can you do that in Austin and not get the big guy to show up? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so is there always going to be something in the Northeast uh, every year? Yeah, we can even if you know the Beacon was it was a great experience. I think that. New York City's tough, man. So I would definitely, I would probably, if we did it again, I might even do something. Maybe we'll do the theater over here in Porchester. Oh, do you want to do the Capitol? That's what it is. Yeah. Oh, if we do, if we do the Capitol or something like that, that'd be uh, great. Then you'll do all the pre pre show press junkets right here in the studio. I mean, have have you been to shows in that theater? Oh yeah, it's beautiful. Is it? All right. No, it's it. You're talking about, I mean, the history there. That's uh, one of Janis Joplin's last shows was played there, and mm. actually she wrote. Um, a Mercedes-Benz just down the street in a bar here in this town. Yeah, man. So I mean, I see ZZ Top is playing tonight, Phil and Friends this weekend. So it's it's definitely a serious spot. Phil Lesh, Phil Lesh plays like 15 shows there a year. He, he is the Capitol <laughs> Theater. If it wasn't for Phil Lesh, they'd have no money. Wait, there's the Cap... Is that the Capitol Theater right next door? Well, I mean, no, the Capitol Theater is, 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 down, is down the right street. Right down the street. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Anyway. I gotcha, yeah. But that's... that's very, uh, very, very historic place. You guys have been great. Uh, thank you so much. I'm just going to do a really quick run through with these super chats over here on on Foxhole, which is on QuiteFrankly.tv, where we're streaming right now. So let me go and do that real quick, and then we're uh, we're on our way. Oh, now they just all disappeared. No, there they are. Witchy Poo 22. Thank you for everything. Curious Patriot. Thank you again. It's just been them two throwing cookies at each other, and. Um, and that's all we have. That's all we have on that end. I, I don't know if there's there's others that I'm not seeing, but right now that's all that's popping up, and I'm releasing the scratch into you all. Uh, thank you, everybody that's been watching on Rockfin, and thank you, everybody from Mines. It was great to get those first uh, first couple of Super Mines in. That was new for the show. I can't wait to be checking those every night. And uh, everyone else, you've been wonderful. Tomorrow is another day. Bill and Matthew, they'll be back again, and I cannot wait for that. We will see you all tomorrow. Roseanne Barr is on the show. We'll be live at 7. Take care. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience. And now our super chatters, starting with Albert Frederick, Mike and Robin, Stostube, and everybody else. Everybody else. Thank you so much for contributing tonight, ladies and gentlemen. You know where to find me. QuiteFrankly.tv is the way to keep up with all the Joneses over here, especially on Minds, at Quite Frankly on Minds. I'll see you there, and I will see you tomorrow. Good night.